What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Convos of Cold. I'm your host, and this is a podcast where we explore the people in my life as well as their experiences. So without further ado, let's get right into it. And I have a very special guest today, a very close relative, and that is Kaylin, my sister. What's going on? Nothing much. Kaylin, I brought you on here today. I'm going to need you to pay attention, please. I am paying attention. Okay. I brought you on today because you're a woman in STEM. You know, now we're seeing an, an increase in, in uh, more women in, in the STEM field, specifically the sciences. But I brought you here today to sort of pick your brain about the roles and responsibilities of women in STEM, sort of why you got into your specific field of research, and basically where you see the, the future of women in STEM and the STEM career field going. So I'll first start off with, you know, my first question is, when did you sort of realize that you had that first notion or calling that a STEM field was right for you? Well, I majored in biology at the University of Kentucky. I think I knew that uh, STEM was for me when I was in, you know, the introductory biology and chemistry courses. At um at UK and I absolutely loved the material. I thought it was so cool to learn about how our world worked, all the way from the molecular level, like how do cells interact with each other, to the macro scale of like how species interact with each other in communities and at the population level. And I thought it was a really interesting way to learn how the world worked. Well, you know, I think that's that's sort of interesting that you say that because. Well, not everyone asks me, you know, why are you a bio major? They always, you know, people who are, aren't bio majors, they see it's pretty generic. Uh, they think that there's only two things to do with that research and med school. But, uh, you know, I've never heard anyone other than myself. Well, I've never really asked anyone other than myself, but explain the beauty of the bio major. Me personally, I sort of got into it just because throughout K through 12, I just always just thought science class was the same science over and over again, you learn about the same concepts. And I felt like you were constantly touching the tip of the iceberg. And before there was any time to go any deeper into content, school would be out, right? Mm-hmm. Is that sort of what led you to the bio degree? Yeah. Um, you know, I honestly haven't really thought a lot about why I chose biology. I think I knew that none of the other degree programs or, or studies called to me the way that biology did. And yeah, it, it could it can be cliche. Yeah, there are a lot of people that pursue biology degrees, but I like to think that the path that I took within the biology degree and the opportunities that I that I earned really made my degree unique and my experience with biology unique. Did you have a? I know at UK you have sort of concentrations in biology. Did you ever focus on a specific type of biology, or did you just do general biology? I uh, did a concentration in genetics, genomics, and bioinformatics. What is the genomics part? So I, I believe the genomics part of it is, you know, looking at instead of a lot, you know, a lot of times people focus on these really small scale things like molecular biology. So looking at right at um, biology on a basis of molecules, basically, that's exactly what it means I mean, in, in, so, in the name. But so I should say genomics is more of the study about the collection of genes. Right. Like how how do genomes act? The same okay. way that people study how genes are turned on and turned off and what they do, you can study how genomes like entire groups of genes. 
yeah, a collection of genes or, um, yeah, how genomes act in different environments, different contexts. Yeah. So, I mean, you sort of told us about, you know, why you chose your degree. You know, a lot of people say bio degree, like I just mentioned, medical school. But you didn't really go that route. What, what sort of route did you go? And, and how did you get into that, mm-hmm. to, the, to the pathway that you took? Well, yeah, I started out, you know, I started out pre-med. Like everybody else. Like er- yeah, like everybody else. And then I um, did research, and I had some wonderful What was um, your research in? Mentors. So at UK, I studied microbiomes. So microbiomes that are found on the surface of leaves. A lot of people study the microbiomes that are found in roots or in the soil. But um, if you're interested in studying, like, microbiomes found on the aerial portions of plants. And then, and, and through that lab, I had a great PI, I had a great um, a mentor, and they pushed me, they pushed me to um, apply to um, research programs that weren't at UK. Like and internships, summer internships? So summer internships, yeah, that weren't at UK, and I ended up doing a couple. So I did one at the University of Oregon and then I did one at um, the Boyce Thompson Institute, which is affiliated with Cornell University. So then I went there and did plant science research. And I absolutely loved the quest for knowledge, like being able to ask any question, coming up with X amount of experiments and testing, and testing your question, testing your hypothesis. And even though experiments didn't, didn't turn out the way that you, were, that you hoped or um, you didn't get the result that you wanted. You learned something. You contributed to a greater knowledge of that plant, of how this gene works. And I think that's what got me into research was knowing that I can contribute to the greater good by acquiring knowledge and sharing it with people. And right. hopefully they would use it in their experiments. And, and that, That's one of the craziest things that has attracted me to the field of research is that I really don't think that there's any other field that embraces failure like the field of research does. One thing that I've learned, I know you're two years above me in school, but there's one thing that I've seen in research to where there is a beauty in designing your entire experiment from a random question that pops in your head at 5 a.m. in the morning to like writing out in your lab notebook, but it always, and, and seeing that through, seeing that project through. But it always doesn't come out that way. And one thing that I've learned is that research is 90% testing your hypothesis. It may or may not work. It most likely won't work if you're early in your career, like me, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, you know, like gain the ropes of research. But I also think that it's nice to be in a, in a field and in a career that regardless of what you do, you're going to get something out of it. Let's say your hypothesis is rejected. Well, now you know something you know, now you, there's, that's, there's a one sector or one section of your, of your experiment, of your experimental design that, you know, you're able to learn and, and uh, proceed uh, with, you know, a different question mm-hmm. with another set of knowledge. I've seen, you know, I'm a pre-med person. I'm not really, uh, I don't plan to go on into the research path, but, you know, in medicine, I've sort of seen this translation in which that you can sort of see, uh, the combo of, of clinical research and how that ties in to, to clinical practice. But I always like to tell people that research is truly one of those fields that, you know, embraces the ups, the downs, the goods and bads. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I think I think that like, but there's an art to asking questions, and this is something I've learned. You know, finishing my first year in my PhD program is like the whole point. The whole point of getting a PhD is to become an expert in something. Right. And through multiple conversations, I realized that like becoming an expert in something doesn't mean that you have to come up with this extremely like novel or I wouldn't even say esoteric is the right question, is the right word. But what I'm saying is like there's an art to asking questions and creating hypotheses that build on current knowledge and current literature that doesn't involve you having to be to make these extravagant hypotheses or extravagant um, predictions. So yeah, I think that like in in these programs too, it's like there's built in failure. You aren't wait nothing. You think that they expect you to fail? I mean, to a certain extent, if you if you excelled at everything, why are you in the program? Right, that's true. It's the whole point. It's all about the learning process. It's the whole point, and it's like I, I experienced that in some of the courses too. It's like. Some of this material just like wasn't clicking, and you could tell it wasn't clicking for a lot of people, but it made the entire it made the whole difference to like you know admit that you were not failing, but you weren't you weren't doing as well as you were hoping, and so you go to talk to with your professor and you know you you figure it out and yeah, but i don't i i I don't know I gotta call you out right there. you said they're sort of expecting you to fail. Nobody's expecting you to fail, but nobody's also expecting you to like get it from get it from the day one. Yeah, but that then you're. I guess you have great professors who understand that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to get my PhD, but I've had professors who I've gone to help, and honestly, they look like they have this blank stare on their face as to why you're even asking why i'm even asking like i spent the last 45 years studying one concept i think that that's a sign of a bad professor though yeah because it doesn't matter it doesn't i don't think it matters how small or trivial the question is if you have a student coming to you and asking you for clarification they obviously don't know right so i I think that's one thing at cornell that i think i have experienced is not that i've experienced a lot of great support from individual professors on on classes you have? and course material. Yeah, I had a great experience last summer. I mean, last uh, spring semester. Well, you know, I think that makes sense. You know, with something as serious and as time consuming as a PhD, and you going, you know, trying to obtain a PhD, you, like you said, you want to be an expert in it. Hopefully, you have other experts surrounding you mm-hmm. that have been in your shoes. They've been where you are. They they know that just like you, just like they were twenty years ago. You're trying to expand your knowledge as much as possible on a wide range of subjects. And at that level, we really should have stellar, outstanding professors who are solely there to not only educate but you know sort of guide students along that process. Because it's what like five to seven years. Mm-hmm. Is it on one one subject or is it? Is it? I mean, it's really you, up to your question and how your project goes. Yeah, or? it's up to your question. It's up to your lab. It's up to your advisor. I think that a lot, uh, oftentimes people ask, have one hypothesis or one question, and they then, um, you know, run into something like, well, that sounds like a really interesting thing to pursue. I'm going to take that right. turn. And so you could end up in a completely different um, place. From what you thought you were going to end your 
your thesis on or what your um, doctorate work would be. Right. Doctoral work would be. It just depends. I mean, I mean, there should be like a common string, I guess, like a common like foundation to the different projects that you would be doing on your PhD, but they don't, it's not like you have one extended yeah. project. Yeah. Well, you know, let's, let's sort of tie back, you know, from your coursework. And I want to ask you, I have to ask, you're getting a PhD. I don't, I don't really know the percentage of female to male ratio, but it's the elephant in the room. Because uh, I know it's it's something that I always look out for, you know, in my classes and stuff. But can you sort of talk about how how you sort of uh, have navigated the waters of being a minority in such a heavily, like, male-dominated career field? Yeah. I don't really know the specifics about how many people are male or female in these programs. It has been interesting. I wouldn't say that I'm necessary. I honestly believe that it, it could be like 50-50 right now in the department of male and female. However, there's like very little diversity in, in the programs. So like there's a lot of, you know, that when we talk about diversity, you're talking about a lot of demographics. <laughs> it's not just race or, or gender. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. And, you know, I, I, was, I was like ask, you know, people of, of color, you know, people of, of sort of minority how they sort of navigate those waters, just me as a black male trying to go into medicine. I remember I was writing the secondary essay and they asked what specific challenges have you had along your pre-medical journey? And I was 100% with them. I, I told them that honestly entering such a, a field, entering a field that there's only... Uh, so few of people, so few people that actually looked like you. I remember I looked up on the AAMC website, uh, which is the people that basically run the medical colleges, and they run the statistics for them as well. There's only three percent of physicians in the United States are African American males. It's a little daunting. Not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. It's sort of uh, when you see such a low number, uh, you sort of take a step back and you ask, huh. How am I gonna, you know, fit into this career? How am I going to work with others? But I think that for me personally, there's a bigger, a bigger cause. There's there's more motivation behind as to why I'm pursuing that degree. Mm-hmm. To where that three percent, although it's definitely something that needs to be talked about, it's pushed down in my mind because I know that there's there's a uh, possibility, and I have the capacity to, you know raise that number Mm. i do sort of feel the same way about um the field of research the field of of uh scientific research yeah yeah i think there is there's a stat out there that i i believe about three percent of phds that have been awarded have been to i want to say black people or black women Mm. i need to look that up again but a very, very, very small percentage of PhDs have been awarded to black women in general. I, I also agree. I, I mean, I look around at work, you know, the building that I work in, and there are very few people of color. And it is, it's, um, it's hard, sometimes it's hard to navigate those spaces because you oftentimes feel like nobody really understands right. where you're coming from. You know, something as easy as asking for help. You know, so for someone else, it could be super easy. It could be like, well, I just need help doing this, so I'm going to ask them. 
but for someone that walks this earth differently and you know has been exposed to um experiences that condition them to to harbor or to think that asking for help is admitting incompetence right is admitting um that you're not as smart as someone else in the room it's difficult and you know operating in these spaces has made me a lot more cognizant and aware of some of these, some of these uh, I guess, behaviors that I'm not so proud of. Right. I hate not being able to ask for help. And I, I look at this opportunity of, you know, getting my PhD is not just for myself, you know, because I really enjoy learning. I enjoy just exploring. I just enjoy exploring biology and plant biology. But I also look at this degree as a nod to other young black girls to be like, you are more than capable of being in these spaces and excelling. And you should, you should be doing it. Right. And I, I have to agree with that, with most everything you said. Because there's times where I've been in something as simple as a chem, a, like an, an organic chemistry lecture. Mm-hmm. You think twice. <laughs> Me personally, I was like the only black boy in there. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't understand the impact or like the significance that the lens that we view the world through has on our daily life. Every, everything we do, every, how we move, how we speak to one another, how we, how we act around other people comes from the lens that we view. So yeah, it definitely does hinder from, you know, getting a coffee at Starbucks to asking my organic chemistry professor how to draw a certain Lewis structure or if she can go over a certain question on my, uh, on my test. Yeah. Uh, but then taking a nod back to you getting your PhD, not only because you liked science, but it's so other people that look like you that are younger than you can see that you're just like them and they're just like you and that they can do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And the only reason, the only thing that, that makes you and them different is maybe your name. Cause we in all in our age, I mean, the name and the age a few years between us. Right. And I think that, you know, that's speaking, you know, as a person of color, it's definitely a, res- a responsibility that we have uh, to not only uplift, definitely uplift everyone around us, but specifically those, especially those in our community who don't necessarily see that on the day in and day out basis like you and I have. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we mention that and that, you know, if you're out there, one, if you're pursuing a PhD and you may be a person of color, lift up your community and, you know, think about others and, and try to mentor others and, and always possible. And if you're also out there trying to get a PhD, do it. Uh, you know, you got this. Yeah. There's, I've had my fair share of advisors or professors telling me that I'm getting into the wrong field or, Maybe I should rethink my 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 pathway. Have you had that, Taylor? Yeah, you know, those people that are that just second guess you that Yeah. Constantly. Constantly second guess. And my last question for you, Taylor, is is sort of where do you see the the field of research or the field of STEM going in like the next fifteen to twenty years? I look around at um you know, other students in, in my cohort and the people that walk the same campus as I do. And 
I can't help but sometimes I crack a little smile because I am so proud and just so excited to see where where STEM fields go because I know that the people that are coming through these pipelines currently, at least from what I see, are open minded, are accepting, right? Are you know, are you know they want to know collaborative? They want, they're willing to learn. Yeah, willing to learn, willing to work with other people. I think it's most important that you said collaborative. Yeah, willing to just like expand their horizons and just expand their their thought processes. Right. Um. So I really hope it moves in into a more progressive, um, more progressive, open space, and that it becomes an exclu an inclusive area, an environment for people of all genders, all backgrounds, sexualities, all identities. I hope that everybody can find a space in, in, in STEM. Yeah. I think that pretty much sums it up. Kaylin, I thank you for your time today. And do you have anything special, you know, if there's, if there's a listener out there that's, what would you say to your younger self? What would you I know, say to my younger self? If you're, you know, not even a PhD, just a dream, an aspiration. Uh, that You, you know, get there. You get there. I want to tell my younger self you get there. Just takes time, will, and diligence. And you're in charge of your own happiness. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Kaylin. No, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And there you have it, another episode of Convos with Cole. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share with all your friends and family and tune in next week for another episode. Thank you.